VegCast. This is VegCast product 19. VegCast. It's going to run a little bit long, but it's going to be worth it. VegCast. A full menu from first to last. VegCast. And when I say full menu, I really mean it this time. Happy 2007, everybody. We've definitely got a full menu this time uh, to the point that we're going to be changing up the format a little bit, dropping uh, the musical segment and kind of dispensing with the science fact right here at the beginning. Get that out of the way and clear the decks for our main interview. Our science fact is actually just two studies that I happen to see right next to each other on the front page of Google News. One Uh, explaining how adding milk to tea nullifies the heart-healthy benefits of the hot beverage, uh, which basically goes uh, on to explain the same uh, process, it seems, uh, that adding milk to chocolate uh, has, which is that something that has healthy antioxidants and so forth, uh, their action is undercut by the presence of milk and specifically casein. Uh, And another one here is uh, on a study about beverages, beverage studies, uh, which was illustrated almost universally with an image of a soft drink, a Coke or a Pepsi can or something, uh, because that's, you know, the beverages and the kids and the soft drinks and the schools. That's what people think of. And I wondered if uh, if milk was one of the beverages uh, that had been looked at in terms of its studies. Uh, and it turns out it it was, and the I went and actually got the PDF of the study and read as much of it as uh, was available there, and not a lot of specificity about the milk studies, but I did find one interesting thing in the table one. They uh, actually break out soft drinks, juice, and milk uh, as the three different kinds of studies and uh, show how many of the studies uh, had what they called an author conflict, which is where one or more of the authors of the study uh, would have had a financial connection where they could have benefited from a, a certain way the study would have turned out. And that in itself, you know, that might happen here, there, uh, coincidentally, whatever. But uh, interestingly, the uh, the percentage of soft drink studies that had that problem was 6%. The percentage of juice studies that had that potential problem was 8%. The percent of milk studies was 18%. So more than both of the other ones combined, uh, you might think that would be something worth putting up in the lead uh, of either the study or the stories if any of the reporters writing the stories had read the study. But um, nobody mentioned it. It just seemed, and again, it could all be completely coincidental, but it just seemed interesting that almost one in five studies on milk had an author conflict, had a a potential conflict of interest in the authors doing the study. I, I don't know what our takeaway is of that, but it just seemed like it was worth remarking. And now... That's enough uh, science, so to speak, for now. We're going to turn to our main interview for this VegCast. <clears throat> and partly to make up for the lack of a December VegCast, the and partly to make up for the lack of a December VegCast, this one is extra long. And extra good, we are talking about the year ahead, 2007, with none other than Gary Francione. Professor Francione, he's professor of uh, law at Rutgers University, long known uh, to animal activists for his uh, rigorous animal rights theories, has now actually made the jump to the web and is blogging and has flash presentations and everything. You'll hear more about that. And I should mention uh, he just a few months ago did a uh, podcast with Vegan Freaks. I'll have a link to that in our show notes. Uh, You can listen to some of that. I tried to uh, ask him different questions and get uh, somewhat different answers from what uh, he was talking about on Vegan Freaks, uh, but specifically to get his take on 2007 and whether some of the 
rumblings that I'm seeing that uh, people may be forced to wake up and uh, change their behavior uh, as regards animals, uh, whether he agrees that uh, the time is now or whether the time is coming or what's going on. So uh, let's go right to that interview, which uh, was conducted on a balmy January Sunday at his house. We're here with Gary Francione in the, uh, the study of Professor Francione with some of the dogs uh, in the house whom you may hear on and off. We'll, we won't go through and name them all. You will hear them on and off. Okay. But Gary Francione, thank you for uh, taking time out to talk with us on VegCast. That's the Royal Us, of course. My pleasure. And uh, I wanted to talk to you specifically for this VegCast, the first of 2007, about the upcoming year and what you see as uh, either a new interest in animal rights in a more uh, rigorous form of animal rights or whether you see kind of more of the same. I'm wondering if what you, how you see this year uh, as perhaps a, a year that we might look back and say, you know, people really started paying attention then. What do you think? I, I do think things are changing, and that is not my, my um, normally optimistic personality speaking, although I do have a normally optimistic personality. I think that um, things are changing in, in certain respects. First of all, it used to be the case that in order for people concerned about this issue to communicate, they had to basically communicate through the groups. The groups were basically the, 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 the focus of communication. People met at conferences, groups distributed literature, they recommended various, uh, various things to read to people. And so the communication was, was largely brokered through through the, the organizations. The internet has changed that and changed it dramatically so that, that the, the animal advocates no longer have to rely on the information brokering of the large corporate uh, organizations which I think are, are largely uh, welfareist and, and they can communicate with each other and it is clear to me that there is an increasing sense that these large corporate welfareist organizations are irrelevant. There is much more of a recognition that uh, efforts to get humane treatment or to improve the, the, the treatment of farm animals, the campaigns like that, are largely useless. And that uh, many ad advocates, I think, are beginning to see that... Um, well, not beginning to see. I mean, I think that they've seen it for a while, but 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 I think I think they're beginning to express um, the position, the clear position that veganism really is the primary form of animal advocacy. Uh, a position I've been arguing in support of for probably 10, 10, 10 years, if not more. And I see that I, I, I see that really becoming um, a, a, a central focus for a lot of animal advocates. So yeah, I do think. The year ahead is going to see an increasing number of animal advocates all over the world working outside of these large corporate welfare organizations, trying to educate people about veganism, focusing on veganism as the primary form of animal advocacy, and and seeing vegan education as um, as really the campaign right now. Uh, maybe in years to come, it will be it will make sense to put time and resources into into legislative campaigns. At this point, that is a a, a waste of time. Uh, the thing to do now is to put the time and the resources into vegan education. That's what we need to do. That's necessary in order to build a, an abolitionist movement. You need people who recognize what I think is the simple point, but is, uh, is made somewhat compl complicated by the corporate welfarist organizations, that if abolition means anything, you apply it to your own life and you don't consume them. And just as a slave owner, uh, somebody who's in favor of the abolition of slavery doesn't own slaves, somebody who's in favor of the abolition of animal exploitation doesn't consume animals, any animals. And, and um, so I think that... that, that, that um, that's becoming clear to a lot of folks, um, and education about about uh, vegan education is being seen as the primary form of animal advocacy, and I think that that's only going to increase in 2007, 2008, and beyond. Okay. Um, well, let me ask you, in terms of vegan education, and you've talked many times about uh, the problems with the corporate 
welfareist organizations and that model of raising people's consciousness and uh, basically rejected that whole cloth. So what I want to know is what, how do you see people going about vegan education in a way that will really work versus a way that plays into the uh, stereotype that allows most non-vegans to basically shut down their thinking as soon as a vegan starts to talk about veganism, that, oh, it's another one of those proselytizing vegans, they're so extreme, they're this, they're well, that. What is the? What are the nuts and bolts of that process? You've raised, you've raised a couple of, of, uh, of issues. First of all, the reason why veganism is seen as extreme is because the mainstream animal movement portrays it as extreme. And that, I think, is one of the most crazy things uh, that, that we deal with. In a, in a movement of crazy things, that is, that is one of the, the craziest things. That, that you have the movement portraying veganism as the extreme position. You know, I was, I was um, recently invited to participate in a project called Heroes of the Vegan Movement. And um, and I said I wouldn't participate, and they said why, and I said because I object to the characterization of people who are vegans as heroes, thus distinguishing them from mere mortals. You know, people who are the real, you know, the 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 the, the, the true the true super people of the movie. It's nonsense. It's easy to be a vegan. It's not an extreme thing. What's an extreme thing, in my judgment, is saying we're an animal rights movement. And uh, but we're flexitarian or whatever these crazy terms are that are used, you know, um, or, or that we think it's okay for you to go to Whole Foods and buy humanely raised meat or or whatever. I mean, I think that's the extreme position. Um, both as a as a theoretical matter, I think it's inconsistent with the recognition that animals have inherent value, and we ought to abolish uh, exploitation. But I also think it doesn't work. I mean, I, I mean, as I as I've been writing now for almost twenty years, uh, animal welfare doesn't work. We don't right. have a lot of evidence to show that animal welfare reforms do anything but make people feel better about exploiting animals and to give uh, to give these large groups campaigns to raise raise funds off of. But I mean, basically, animal welfare doesn't work. And, and so what I do when I engage in educational efforts is explain to people why it's not extreme. What I do is I, I try to educate them about why um, their behavior in eating meat or dairy or eggs is inconsistent with a lot of other things that they believe. And, um, and that if they want to be morally consistent, if they want to uh, do something good for their health and something good for the environment, they'll see that the, the, the logical, sensible thing to do, both from a, from a point of view of, um, of, uh, of, of morality and other factors, is, to, is to, to, to embrace the vegan lifestyle. And now, one of the other questions, you, one of the other parts of your question is, well, what, what can we do as a practical matter? Well, there are a lot of people doing a lot of things that are really very interesting. For example, I was in Spain giving some lectures at the University of Valencia. And uh, while I was there, I met a group of animal advocates who every Sunday, without fail, are at, there's a large public park area in Valencia where um, uh, people gather every Sunday. It's a really, it's a very, uh, a, a very uh, lovely place, and there's a lot of community activity that goes on there. And and there are booths that are set up to sell food and 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 uh, things that people make and you know crafts and things. But then there are informational booths set up from various political parties and various advocacy organizations. And mm -hmm. every Sunday, these folks are there passing out literature on veganism and abolition. And they're you know they have they have a, a, a brochures about why speciesism is like sexism and why we should reject sexism and how this is all related. And it really does present to the people who go to this booth a very consistent, coherent, logical worldview. Um, rather than saying to them, uh, don't eat meat, don't eat flesh. And then they walk away from your booth and they're saying, well, if it's okay for, you know, I'm not supposed to eat flesh, but if it's okay for me to eat dairy, um, What's the you know what's the what's the car? I mean, I mean it, right. it, it it doesn't it doesn't present a a coherent consistent logical you know a, a framework to people, and um, you know it always it always struck me um, you know in the context of hunting, you know it, when you're opposing hunting, and um, and somebody says to you well uh, you're really opposed to all all 
you know, animal, eating animal products, aren't you? It's not just hunting. And I've heard a lot of animal advocates say, oh, no, 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 what we're concerned about is hunting. Well, if you think about it, um, and I've heard this many times, um, if you think about it, uh, the animals that are, are purchased in the grocery store uh, probably have a worse life than the animals that are hunted. Sure. Now, I'm certainly not in favor of, of, of hunting, um, but if you oppose hunting, it doesn't take Albert Einstein to sort of think about it for five minutes and say, well, gee whiz, you know, if hunting is bad, but it's okay for me to go to my grocery store and buy these chickens that are raised in these horrible places, or it's all right for me to go to my grocery store and buy a chicken that's raised in a slightly better place, a humanely a, a humanely raised chicken, then what are these people really talking about? None of this really makes sense to me. And then they forget about the whole thing. So I think, in a sense, your question that are we going to turn people off by by discussing veganism with them i think we're i think i think the the opposite that's the problem i think we're turning people off by giving them an inconsistent message that doesn't make sense that allows them to walk away from us and say hey these people don't make any sense none of this none of this sounds right you know it doesn't all hang together what are these people talking about okay i just to set the record straight i don't think that I <laughs> Okay, I won't set the record straight. No, forget it. You know, go ahead. Set the record straight. No, no, no. You're fine. No, everything you say is right. Kill, kill, kill. Now, I didn't. I wasn't saying we're going to turn people off if we do this. I want. I wanted to ask you specifically how we do it, given that we're doing it in a context where we've already extremist and wild-eyed and so forth, uh, a mainstream where people are coming, encountering vegans with already a bias about veganism, mm. uh, how the average person can, who is not a lawyer and a professor of law, who's made his living for decades on being able to argue a case convincingly, how the average person kind of breaks through that and achieves this, and whether it's something that can be done one-on-one, or if it's something that the corporate welfareist organizations, as you say, the one thing they definitely have is organization. They've yeah. they've got institutions right. set up. Is there any way of taking the more Francionian approach, if I might, and and making an institution out of it? Well, yeah, I mean, I think that's happening. I mean, I, th- I think that that's, I think that that's happening um, in, in that, I mean, the, the folks in Valencia were, were speaking to individuals who came to this event, so it was a one-on-one educational thing, but they were also doing other things. I mean, they were, they were giving lectures in high schools, they were giving lectures in universities, uh, and so their, fo- their primary focus was educational. Um, their substantive focus was abolition and veganism, and they were they were doing you know they were engaging in education wherever and whenever they could. And I just use them as an example. I mean, they're they're one example of of uh, a, a phenomenon that I am seeing in different places all over the globe. Uh, there are folks who are doing this all over the place who have basically decided that um, PETA is irrelevant. That Peter Singer is irrelevant. That um, rather than sitting around and debating, um, you, you know, whether it's all right for ha- us to have mutually satisfying sexual relationships with animals, uh, which Singer maintains, or or some of the other things that Singer said, just forget about it. And that and 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 to and to, to get outside of that and to talk to people about the issues. And um, and so yeah, I, I I see this happening all over the place, and and um, and I think that um, even within the mainstream movement, there is an increased focus on rights versus welfare, largely as a result of the internet, largely as a result of the fact that PETA and the large groups can't suppress the discussion anymore, so it's showing up. In in uh, magazines like Satya had a had a discussion about rights versus welfare. Right. Satya has been a relentlessly welfareist publication uh, for years. I mean, uh, it has been uh, the um, you know the the Reader's Digest of the animal movement. Very very, um, in my judgment, conservative, reactionary sort of uh, welfareist approach. And they even had, um, you know, some discussion about this. And it's happening all over the place. And I can't, I can't even keep up with the requests I'm getting for from different organizations 
that want me to write things for their publications or their websites and things. I, I, don't, I don't have time to do that, which is one of the reasons why I'm doing the blog and the website was in response to uh, that, that didn't that didn't just happen. Um, it, it 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 occurred. The result, the the reason why I did the website and the blog, um, is that I was getting an enormous response from people in different countries who were focusing on this rights versus welfare issue, seeing that the welfare position wasn't working, really disenchanted with the with, with that whole thing, and engaging in the discussion about, you know, what what okay, we, we realize welfare doesn't work. What are rights you know, what do we mean when we talk about animal rights? And, you know, give us some guidance there. So so I started responding and I was spending hours uh, on the internet every day um, responding to emails that I was getting from all over the place, and and um, and I decided that maybe the best way to deal with this was to focus on the sorts of issues that I was, you know, the, 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 to fo focus on the themes of the uh, of the emails, and basically they broke down into four categories. I was getting people asking me questions about. What's the theory of animal rights? What does that mean? They were asking me questions about rights versus welfare. They were asking me about what it means to say animals are property. And they were asking me questions about animal law. So what I did was I, I created four presentations that we did as flash presentations on the website. And then the idea of the blog is to sort of on a weekly basis, I hope on a weekly basis, I don't know it's a lot of work, but uh, on a weekly basis put up a different essay dealing with taking my topics largely from the emails I'm getting. But this is all driven by the interest in the topic that is being manifested all over the place that is creeping into the the the, the discussions of even some of the the more mainstream uh, organs like Satya for example the reason why Satya is having that discussion is because they can't ignore it anymore mm -hmm. because it is it is a topic that of great interest that's being expressed by people all over the place and and are being uh, being pursued by people all over the place and so they just—they've got to respond to that. They're not really, um, in any way, a harbinger of this. They're following. They're—they're—they're—they're they're, they're, they're grabbing onto the coattails of something that's been going on for a while now. Okay. Well, if um, I don't want to—I know that you are now uh, working on a book. Yes. Um, and we're working on two books actually. Okay. Well, you're of course, <laughs> but. Uh, Specifically germane to this, uh, you're doing a book, Animal Rights versus Animal Welfare, the debate, where you're obviously taking the animal rights uh, stance. Um, so I know it's, it's very much of immediate interest to you, this particular division, but I, I keep wanting to try to bring it back to the division between people who are attempting to behave according to their beliefs about animals and people who have not yet made such a commitment and whether that second group of people is what the ways are that that is going to to happen assuming that whatever happened with this this debate let's say the whole population of vegans and vegetarians becomes <laughs> vegan the population right. of vegans exactly. that would be the first move okay right. let's say that but um, I'm just wondering, looking forward in 2007 or beyond, um, if you see particular ways, and I guess I wanted to to address the issue. You would made a remark uh, on the phone about how some big uh, European organization had called and said they wanted you to to be their leader or something. You said, no, no, I don't no, want to be no, 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 no. What I said was um, some people... Have uh, have have asked me whether or not I am interested in being the leader of an organization. Okay. And the answer to that is no, <laughs> I, okay. I'm not because because I think part of this whole problem is part of this whole issue and and, and, the, and the, one of the reasons why we've had problems is that, is that the movement is very um, personality driven. It tends to get it tends to get focused around particular individuals, and and. Um, that's a recipe for a cult, which is really what we've got now. I mean, we've got a situation where you have PETA killing animals, right. and um, and PETA telling everybody, well, you know, we're doing this because we can't get homes for all of them, so we're killing them. I mean, this is an organization that's taking in millions and millions of dollars, could provide homes for these animals, but chooses to kill them. And the movement stands by and says, don't criticize PETA. There's greater. Peter Singer says all of these outrageous things. I mean, you know, let's let's... 
you know, kill disabled children, let's have sex with animals, uh, let's, uh, I mean, you know, as I said, my most recent blog, you know, I'm just waiting for somebody to, you know, say, let's have sex with disabled children before we kill them and then feed them, but, but, but before we kill them, let's feed them a humanely raised hamburger. And, um, and so, you know, we have these people taking these crazy positions, and people, there's no criticism from the, from, from the, the mainstream movement, from the organizational movement. Right. And and so that's you know the, the 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 part one of the big problems with the animal movement is that it has been a real personality driven phenomenon. Um, it gets centered, gets focused on individuals who can then do no wrong and who pronounce. There's no discussion. There's no dialogue. Um, and it's it's a question of you know it, it, the, the the leaders pronounce things. They they give the revealed wisdom. And I think that's a bad idea. I think that any sort of any any healthy social and political movement. Has to have discussion and debate, and and um, now you know I, I happen to think that the debate ought to be starting at a different level. I'm not really interested in discussing with anybody uh, who, who says I'm an animal person, but I'm not a vegan. The answer is you're an animal person. You're you know you're you're you know you're not a vegan. To me is the same as saying well I'm a Christian, but I don't believe in Jesus Christ, uh, whatever. And and so so I'm not really interested in the dia- in the discussion on that level. I am interested in in the political discussion um, and and, uh, and and debate uh, that doesn't exist in the mainstream movement. I think we got to sort of get away from the whole concept of leaders, and I think what we need to do is explain to people that if we're ever going to really shift the paradigm here, it, it's not going to be as a result of these organizations that are going to tell everybody what the truth is. It's going to have. I mean. Animal exploitation is a pervasive part of our culture and has been forever. If it's ever going to change, it's going to change one person at a time with that person talking to her social acquaintances and then those people talking to their social acquaintances. There's got to be a paradigm shift. This is not. This is a very difficult problem. The problem of animal exploitation is very, very difficult because it is so much a part of our consciousness and culture. Right. And, and so if it's going to change, it's going to change because increasing numbers of people start seeing a different moral reality. There is a paradigm shift. That's not going to happen um, as a result of, of organizations and leaders. That's going to happen when individuals realize they are leaders, they are, they are moral leaders, they are morally responsible for for their own activity first, and therefore they should embrace veganism. Um, and they need to educate themselves. I mean, you said before, well, you've been a law professor, and, you know, yes, I've been a law professor for 20-some-odd years. Yes, I have a philosophy background, and so, yes, I'm able to discuss these issues. But the bottom line is, these issues are really quite simple. And, I mean, the, 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 the basic issues are quite simple. They require some work. I mean, people have to sit down. They have to be willing to read. They have to be willing to do something other than go to, you know, their 47 millionth conference and listen to the same speakers once again say the same thing that they've been saying for the past umpteen years. They have to be willing to do some hard work, you know, and, and spend a few hours a week learning things. But, but we have, all have to become teachers. We all have to become leaders. And, you know, it's, a, it's remarkable how this can work. I mean, I was um, recently, I was coming back from France recently, and I'm on an airplane, and sitting next to this person, and when my meal comes, you know, I, when, when, when you order a special meal, right. they always bring it out first. Right. So, so I'm sitting there, and, and the, uh, the uh, air host comes out and says, well, you know, here's, here's your special meal. And um, the person sitting next to me says, um, uh, why do you have a special meal? And I said, well, I'm a vegan. And she said, what's a vegan? And she said, I, I understand vegetarian. She said, a vegetarian? I said, well, I said, I, I said, yes, but I said, a vegetarian, and I really mean it. I said, that's what a vegan <laughs> is. I said, a, a vegan is a vegetarian who really means it. We talked, and I explained to her, you know, she said, well, how long have you been doing this? And I said, well, you know, it's my, here's my 24th, 25th year. I've been a vegan. And, um, and she asked me why. She said, did you do that for health reasons? I said, absolutely not. I did it for moral reasons. And she said, well, what's wrong with eggs and what's wrong with cheese? And I said, well, you know, dairy products and eggs, I mean, they're every bit as bad as meat. You know, those animals are kept alive longer. They all end up in the same slaughterhouse and they're treated worse. It's horrible. And we had this discussion and, 
And I said, do you have a dog or a cat? And she said, oh, yes, you know, I have both. I have a dog and a cat. And, um, and she talked, took her pictures out and showed me her dogs and her cat, her dog and her cat. And, um, and I said, well, you know, there really is no difference between the dog you love and the, the pig you eat or the cow you eat or the chicken you eat. Um, and, and, um, you know, you really sort of need to see that. And, and we had this discussion. It was a nice, it was a seven hour flight and we had this discussion. <laughs> she ended up not eating the dinner. She asked the, the air host when they came around, she said, do you have any more of those? And, and, um, uh, the air host said, yeah, we have a, you know, yes, we have an extra one. She said, may I have that one? She had that one. Now, I don't know, you know, whether she is, uh, you know, going to embrace veganism, but I spent time with her and she, she learned something and she'd never really understood this before. Right. And, and so, you know, the work of education is labor intensive. You know, it takes a lot of time. You have to do it one-on-one. Or, I mean, you know, tomorrow my semester starts at Rutgers University. And as I was saying to you before, I'm very excited because there are 50 students who are enrolled in the course on human rights and animal rights that I'll be teaching with Anna Charlton. And that's exciting to me that there are 50 people, um, you know, in a law school uh, who are who are going to take a course like that because that's not a sort of a, that's not a that's not the traditional law school course. That's a right. that's an atypical course for 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 most law schools. And so, um, as a matter of fact, I don't I I'm not aware of any other law school in the United States that teaches the course. There are some courses in animal law, but this is not about animal law. This is about this is a this is a course that focuses on jurisprudential issues in which we're talking about what does it mean to say humans have rights and what rights do humans have and then why do animals not have why are animals outside the moral community or at least not full members of the moral community and so it's much more of a philosophical course and as far as I know nobody else is teaching a course like that certainly in a law school and and so we've got 50 students signed up for that and that's just the pre-enrollment I'm sure that we'll get you know more during the the ad period we may lose some <laughs> I don't know but 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 the, the chances are that we'll get we'll end up with 60 people in that class but in any event you can check back with me and I'll give you a final okay role. but let me just say both of those examples of uh, doing a one-on-one mm-hmm. in a situation where it just comes up and doing it to a group where they're basically a captive audience that has to listen to you because you're the professor both of those are outside of the the realm of the average person who doesn't get to jet back and forth to Europe all the time and have these captive audiences that they can convert so I, I got to fall back on it was a cheap you know, flight it wasn't well, that expensive say, it was the one thing that he did, he did has is they they organize events and no matter if you think they're the stupidest things to have somebody sit out on a corner, you know, in a cage with no clothes on. I, I don't think they're stupid. I think they're counterproductive. I don't right, think that right, right. I, I, I think, I think the point being that it's an event and it it gets a brand out there. Now, the Gary Francione <clears throat> approach yeah. is slowly. I mean, it's there's people who are picking it up. People who, like a person that you mentioned earlier, who initially may have thought it was too rigorous, but are now kind of coming around and espousing it, even if they, whether or not they're using the Francione name, I just, I can't help thinking that it would be good to have something that would organize people, all these people that are kind of coming to this ideologically, but have no idea what to do with it on a practical day-to-day basis, other than change their own eating. Oh, no, but I, I know, I mean, look, I think that, that, Efforts have to be local efforts and grassroots efforts, and I think that that uh, the idea of the national organization is an idea that was anachronistic, you know, when it started. I mean, it was it was useless when it started. It, that's not the way you educate people, particularly not about an issue like this. This is an issue that requires grassroots education, requires efforts, local efforts. Uh, local meaning as, as as small as the inter- individual interaction I was just explaining a moment ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and going up to sort of you know larger community organizations, and um, there are a lot of groups all over the place that are springing up. There's small groups that are uh, asking me for literature and asking me if I will write literature for them, and I'm I'm trying to do that to the extent that I have time to do that. And and there, and and that again, that's one of the reasons why I created the website uh, was to give those folks um, uh, resources that they could use. 
um, so they can, you know, they can have a, 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 you know, a monitor set up and they can show the little flash presentations or they can pass out the blogs. I try to write the blogs in a, in a somewhat semi-formal way. I mean, they're not, they're not written informally so that they can be uh, distributed to people's literature. I'm working with some folks on creating some literature that will just be, you know, not associated with particular organizations, but just things that, that anybody can hand out. Right. Um, the, the website is presently being translated into, the, the website and all the materials on the website are being translated into French, German, Spanish, Portuguese, um, and I heard yesterday that someone was interested in doing it in, in Korean. And so um, the French version is already done. Uh, we're just in the process of, of, uh, of putting the final touches on it, but that should be launched. The French version should be launched soon. And the person I'm working with, uh, who's a, a, a philosophy graduate student from Montreal, is actually going to do the blog translations on a weekly basis. So we'll have not only the website translated and all the flash presentations, but we'll have the, the, the blogs translated. So there are groups that are all over. They're springing up all over. They're small groups. They're like these, these, these folks in, um, in, in Valencia. Um, they were they were passing out articles I'd written, and you know they translated some of them, and they were passing them out. I only hope that the translations are accurate, but um, but you know so so they're they're um, you know that that sort of thing is happening. I mean, as far as my starting an organization is concerned, um, I don't really see that as. I mean, th there are people who are really good at organizing and doing that sort of stuff, and and you know they should do that. It should really happen, in my judgment, on a on a local level, um, you know, on a grassroots level. Um, but but uh, there are folks who are doing that, and as far as uh, sort of my starting some sort of national you know organization, um, you know this is a movement that's already got enough organizations, enough T-shirts, enough buttons, enough bumper stickers, and enough garbage um, to you know to, to 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 clog a large landfill. And and um, I, I don't th I think the, the last thing in the world we need is um, a, a, another another large self-promoting, self-aggrandizing organization that, you know, the, the, the primary function of which is to put out t-shirts. I mean, I, I just I just don't see that. I, yeah, I wasn't advocating that. I, I just, to me, it always seems like such a bizarre conundrum uh, that we do have, at, as you were saying, it's it's largely personality-driven. Absolutely. Yeah, we have personalities out there who can say things and not be, you know, that what they're saying is basically ignored and they're still the figurehead of the, the movement, while you, through some fault of your own, are not as well known and are, and are not out there presenting yourself as a personality that people who, and I know that you, you think it's kind of I'm anathema, you don't want to be that personality, and yet I think that, that that could really drive, because when people have a face to put to people, when people have a, a a person to to focus on it makes it makes such a difference to uh, i think to the amount the degree of the spread of of their ideas and and yours people still have to like go down these back alleys and have somebody say hey did you hear gary francione yeah. and then they finally find their way to you well but vance that's look um I mean, if you go back to the early '90s, if you can find if you can find literature in the animal rights movement in the early '90s, I was I was uh, featured pretty prominently because I was working with groups like Pete right. and some of these other groups, and so I was in the mainstream, as it were. And then, as things happened uh, that disenchanted me, and I moved further and further away from that, um, that stopped. And and after I wrote Rain Without Thunder in 1996, in which I got more nasty. Death, thready, violent, um, horrible communications from supposedly peace-loving animal rights people um, who were very, very upset at my criticism of some of these large organizations. Uh, the corporate animal movement basically stopped promoting my books, stopped promoting me and my work and my ideas. So the reason why I, you don't hear anything from PETA about me is because PETA promotes Peter Singer, who basically says it's all right to eat animal. You can be conscientious omnivore, but they don't, you know, they don't promote my view, which right. says if you take this seriously, you got to be vegan. Now, um, because I also say, you know, when you're taking in millions and millions of dollars every year, you got no excuse to be killing animals because you can't afford to take care of them.
And anybody, you know, who knows anything about PETA knows that, you know, it's like the Church of Scientology, you know. I mean, it's, it, it is, as a matter of fact, you know, the latter may be, may be far more flexible in terms of dealing with criticism. But, but um, these, these, or, these animal organizations, they're not interested in discussion. They don't like my positions on these things, um, so they don't promote my work. Now, as far as inability to get my, my work, well... That may have been the case before the Internet. It is no longer the case. I mean, what's, what's very interesting is Introduction to Animal Rights was published six years ago. It still sells, and it still sells in, you know, in, 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 in decent numbers. Um, and uh, this stuff is showing up all over the place. As a matter of fact, much of, I am amazed to see how much of it, it is out, uh, there is out there because most of the people who are doing this are not asking my permission, you know, which 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 they they should. Um, but you know, I just find out that you know that that so and so's got it on you know her site, and so and so's got it on his site, and there's all sorts of stuff out there, and and um, so the work is getting out there, and the ideas are getting out there. It's just the movement, um, you know. There was a, there was a sort of a turning point in there, the second march for the animals. Um, which I guess was 1995, I think, 95, 96. And, and I refused to participate in that. And I refused to participate in it because it was basically sponsored by a number of welfare organizations, um, along with Fredericks of Hollywood. I've never figured out that connection. But, I mean, I, I guess they were, sort of, they were sort of glomming onto the PETA sexism thing. But, um, you know, a number of welfare organizations were promoting it. And they didn't even want to talk about animal rights. And there were some initial discussions about what sorts of things would be permitted to be talked about at that march. And, and I basically said, I will have no part of that. Uh, I will have no part of it whatsoever. And, and, uh, and then Rain Without Thunder came out, and it, it, there was an enormously negative reaction from people in the mainstream movement who said, you know, you never should criticize. And, and, and now, as of 2006, there is not one animal organization in the United States, not one national animal rights organization in the United States that I regard as abolitionist. They are all varying degrees of what I called in my 1996 book, New Welfarist, all of them. And so um, it's distressing, it's sad. On the other hand, at the same time, you have this phenomenon and it is an international phenomenon of young people who basically are skeptical about institutions as a, as a general matter. can't believe I just said young people. I sound like my father here. Um, but, but no, it's, it's you know, the, 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 the younger generation, you know, the, 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 the punk and the, you know, the, 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 the post-punk generation or whatever you want to call them, um, are, are skeptical of institutions in the first place. Um, they're very, very skeptical of organizations like PETA. They are smart enough to understand that um, this personality focus and the personality-driven aspects of this activity uh, are nonsense. And, uh, and they reject that. And, and so um, it's not clear to me that, that the response to that ought to be, hey, look, um, don't look at don't look to those people to be your leaders anymore. Look to me to be your leader. I, I don't I'm not I'm not comfortable doing that and I don't think that, that would be helpful. Okay. I don't think it's a good idea. I think the better thing for me to do to those with those folks is to say, That's great, go for it. When you have issues, when you have questions, when you need discussion about things, I'm here. You know, I'm here. I'm I'm a click from your mouse away and I'm more than happy to talk with you and I'm spending a lot of time talking to people this morning, you know, I mean, uh, thus far today, I've talked to people in two countries in Western Europe, um, you know, in a number of places here, um, and, it, and, and someone in Canada, basically talking about, um, you know, various abolitionist issues. And so, um, you know, I, I, so I think the best thing for me to do is give these folks information, and they can take that information, and I think they can do things w with it uh, that will be much more useful than let's start another organization and put a face to it and sort of have yet another leader. We need to um, uh, move this movement away from personalities and onto issues, recognizing that animal exploitation is pervasive. It is not like the issue of a tax cut versus no tax cut. Um, and it's even, in many ways, much more complicated than should we be in Iraq or shouldn't we be in Iraq. I mean, that's a discrete issue. We can talk. It's a complicated issue, but it's an issue we can talk about. It, it has a definable scope. 
when you were talking about animal exploitation, it pervades the entire society. It's something we've all grown up with. Um, you know, many of our fondest memories are when we were children around the Thanksgiving table. And I mean, it, we it, it, it's associated with our families. It's associated with everything about our lives. And, and in order for that paradigm to shift, you don't shift that paradigm by starting a group. It, it has to come from the people up. And, right. and it's got to be, it's got to, it's got to reflect some significant social change. And, and that's got to be something which is done on a local level. Um, you know, the one thing that I've learned over the years is that, you know, men, for, maybe for illegitimate reasons, but, but, um, you know, people in, uh, in in State X in some community, they're not interested in somebody coming from Washington or, you know, a New Yorker like me, you know, going down there and sort of telling them, you know, uh, why they should be vegans. Those folks need to hear it from people in their community, people that they know, people that they, they know don't have some other agenda. And that's the only way this really, because what you're, what you're really doing is, you're not getting people. You're not trying to get people to change their minds about whether you know whether Mideast policy is, is 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 good or bad, or whether we should be in Iraq, or whether there should be a tax cut. You're trying to get them to change fundamental personal behaviors and right. attitudes, and that's why the interaction that I have with somebody sitting next. Obviously, I, you know, I, I don't have any other relationship with the person other than the fact that I'm sitting next to her on an airplane. But you know, you're stuck there for seven hours. You know, you're having a discussion, and right. and you can have a personal discussion with somebody. And it doesn't come off as threat. I mean, that's another thing I think is really important is, you know, to the extent that there's anything, quote, radical, unquote, in the movement, which I don't regard as radical at all, is this, is this, you know, what's portrayed as radical is the violent stuff. And I think that that's crazy. I mean, I think that's, uh, I don't regard that as radical at all. I think it's reactionary. Right. I think it's theoretical. To me, it is inconsistent with the with the animal rights position, which I understand to be the a position of nonviolence. Um, but but um, but I think it's important, um, you know. And that's how the public thinks about us. I mean, they think about you know animal rights. They think about naked women sitting in the cage, you know, at, at the you know at the circus, or they think about people, you know. Uh, uh, burning down buildings, or you know, whatever these these people are doing, or or, or whatever whatever his name was on sixty minutes, um, Jerry Vlasic saying that he thinks it's okay to kill vivisectors. I mean, that is crazy, and right. and and to the extent that that's how the public perceives us, well, no wonder you know that they think that we're just basically a cheap form of entertainment, and they don't really see us as having serious ideas. We don't have serious ideas as far as they're concerned. So so um, I think it's important for people to see that we do have serious ideas, but as a general matter that's not going to happen as a result of you know uh, my flying here there and everywhere and and you know telling people what the truth is the effective way to do that is at a local level at a grassroots level by empowering the people who are there giving them the information they need making the issues clear for them to understand so that they can they can relay them to folks I have um, two books in the works right now that I'm excited about um, Columbia University is doing a book called, um, well, the tentative title is called uh, The Personhood of Animals. And that's basically a book of essays um, I, that some of which have been published before, some of which are, um, are, are just being published now. And um, the, uh, the essay that I mentioned is going to be in Long Contemporary Problems, which is a journal that comes out of Duke University, is also going to be in this Columbia book. But, um, but it's, going to be a set of, it's going to be a set of essays on the theory of animal rights. And then a second book I'm doing for Columbia... Uh, is is going to be animal rights versus animal welfare the debate, right. and I'm really thinking that that is going to be a very very useful tool um, for animal advocates all over the planet uh, because what it's going to do is I'm going to be debating a political scientist from Britain who who supports animal welfare, and I'm going to be be support I'm going to be arguing in favor of the abolitionist position. Regulation doesn't work. It's doctrinally problematic. It's practically uh, and strategically uh, uh, useless, and he's going to be taking the position that animal welfare is a good thing, and we're going to we're going to, to debate these issues. Um, it is my hope that that book will be very very accessible. Not not um, you know not even though I'm a professor and he's a professor. I think um, uh, the idea is it will be something that will be a, a, a really acce an accessible tool for people, so that it's not really a, an academic debate. Uh, or a debate which is of, of interest primarily to people who teach in philosophy departments or political science departments, but that it will be of interest to people who are out there thinking about the issue. And, um, and so that's, I'm excited about that project. 
but but um, you know, but I, I will tell you the reaction I'm ha- I'm getting to this blog and to the website is extraordinary. Um, I didn't. I didn't do anything to add. I mean, I, I the only ad- advertising was I let a few people know who have websites that um, that I was launching this, and it's at www.animal-law.org, uh, and then the um, the blog you can. It, it's Don't a, worry, we'll have links in the. Okay, show you'll have link. All right, yeah. you'll have links, and um, and so I let a few people know that I was doing this. And they let their they, they put it out on their their websites, but I didn't do anything to to advertise it, and it's getting thousands and thousands and thousands of hits. And I, I'm somewhat stunned at the reaction. Um, I'm getting a lot of emails from people. I don't have the time to answer them all. I try to do what I can, and then what I try to do is I try to answer them in terms of the blogs that come out. I try to right. say, okay, you know, I'll, I'll address this, but give me a couple weeks and I'll address it in, in a in a complete way. Or as complete a way as I can in a blog, but um, but you know, so so I think you know, I, I think there's a lot of exciting things. I mean, I think I think that a lot of people are beginning to think about this issue, and I think that um, this is a really good time for a serious discussion about a serious issue. One of the things I hear, I I, I, um, I, I hear a lot from welfare advocates is they say, well, but you know, what can we do now? Because really now the only thing we can do is participate in PETA's campaign to make sure that Kentucky Fried Chicken gases chickens rather than kills them in alternative ways or something. And we know you don't agree with that campaign. And um, and so, you know, but, but, but what else can we do? And the answer is, well, look, how much time do you have tomorrow to work on animal issues? Well, I've got two hours. Well, you got a choice. You can either work on making sure that Kentucky Fried Chicken gasses chickens, or you can spend two hours tomorrow tabling at a mall, or passing out literature some other place, or at a at a community event or fair or something, or participating. You know, having passing out vegan food that you make uh, at a um, at a, at, a, at some sort of local festival or fair or whatever and um, you, you you know it's it you you don't have unlimited time and unlimited resources so you've got to make a decision about what you're going to do and in my judgment it's a no-brainer that you know the two hours spent educating people about about abolition and veganism and trying to trying to sort of educate them about a consistent coherent in a, in a co- coherent and consistent way is a much better use of time than two hours spent working on some idiotic campaign to get to get chickens you know uh, uh, an inch more space in a battery and a battery cage I mean I, I just I just don't don't I mean I, I think it's clear that that's a better better use of time okay well the the talk of time reminds me that we're we're uh, well, we're well out of time. I've gone way over the, the time limit that I usually impose for myself and even my uh, what I agreed to be here for. But I still I want to ask you just one more question, yeah. if I may, um, about coming back to the 2007 thing and uh, whether there may be a paradigm shift at hand. Um, there are three strong arguments for... Uh, veganism in terms of a person wanting to do something that is positive. Um, obviously, the moral argument is we consider the strongest, but there also happen to be um, an argument for personal health as well as an argument for the health of the planet. Right. Um, as more consistent evidence continues to emerge that um, large quantities of animal protein in the, in the regular diet of the human body is... Uh, more problematic than helpful, and as uh, perhaps the Al Gore movie has tipped the scales, but it seems that the conventional wisdom now has shifted to global warming is a real phenomenon, and anyone who says otherwise is a complete crackpot. As we sit here on this on, on Sunday, right. September seventh or uh, January seventh, but it's, you'd think what, it's September degrees. It is, yeah, um, exactly. Um, so. And we just had the uh, the UN uh, come out with a report 
basically explicitly stating that the raising of livestock worldwide is a yes. greater contributor to global warming than uh, all of the cars on Earth. I have that report sitting on this desk right Okay. Now. So if we have that, I'm, I'm wondering, do you consider those other two aspects, um, if promulgated to the populace, as something that can that can lead them to open them up to the moral argument, or are they just completely separate things? I mean, I know that your position is people need to change because they believe in behaving morally, but is there is there any other way way in that might foster a type of, of thinking well, sure. that would lead to that? I, I frequently talk about the health and the environmental issues. I mean, I think the the moral issue to me is the most important. And and really, if you don't if you don't get someone on the moral level, then you're probably not going to. I mean, you're you're really not going to get them in any in any serious way on the other two issues. Um, I mean, the moral issue really is to me the 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 the, um, the primary focus. However, however, um, I certainly talk about health issues, and I talk about environmental issues. The problem, particularly with the health issue, is that because the meat industry and the pharmaceutical industry have so many more resources in terms of financial resources and, and, and the consequent media uh, access, uh, whatever whatever information gets dumped into the you know before the public about how animal products or why animal products right. aren't they good for you, they can they can they can confuse it and they right. can obfuscate it and whatnot so so um, you know and we've seen that over the years sure. I mean we've seen we've seen how they've done that so in a sense with the health issue, it's it's one that I don't know that you can really win uh, or, or or prove to somebody who isn't otherwise inclined okay. to believe. You know what? Let's throw health out. I just okay. I, I mentioned that out of just uh, trying to not be trying to be inclusive, mm-hmm. but specifically because the global warming thing does come back more around to a moral. Uh, it's a morally tinged uh, aspect yeah. of the argument. Do you think that if if people do start waking up to this and thinking, oh, you know, I I do maybe have a responsibility to the future of the planet or whatever, that, oh, you know, maybe I I also have a responsibility to these entities that I formerly just kind of ignored? Yeah, I I don't, I mean, unfortunately... Um, although I think you know, there's there's a, a great deal of evidence, obviously, about global warming and the relationship between animal agriculture and global warming. I think that um, uh, you know, as far as I know, Al Gore hasn't become a, a vegan and um, uh, or or a non-serious vegan, known as a vegetarian. Um, so I don't I don't think that um, you know. It, I know a lot of folks who consider themselves environmentalists. I know a lot of folks who consider themselves really serious. I mean, not not just casual environmentalists, but serious environmental types. And um, among them, I can count very few vegans. There are some people who don't eat beef, um, and there are some people who don't eat pork, uh, and they just eat lots of chicken because they think that that's an environmentally better uh, uh, corpse to eat or whatever. But um, but I know very very few. Uh, I can count very very few among those people who are 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 uh, are. In the, and actually, you know, in thinking about it, the couple that I know that the the few that I know environmentalists who are vegans are people who um, are also convinced by the moral idea. I mean, they they see this all as a, right. a, a you know they they see this all as, as 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 linked. But no, I certainly talk about the. Um, I certainly talk about the the health issue. I talk about the environmental issue, but again, I don't really think you're going to get any sustained long-term change on anyone's part if 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 they don't if if the if they're not moved morally, then um, you, you know they're not really going to uh, mo- most people. I mean, there are obviously some counterexamples, but most people aren't going to be moved by. Um, uh, you know, by the environmental argument or the health argument in any really clear and unequivocal way. Okay. So, in sum, uh, there is some reason for hope for a paradigm shift just in you, you're seeing a lot of uh, decentralized 
uh, organization going on at grassroots Absolutely. level and people being able to access your ideas and people being able to access basic information that that uh, previously wasn't. So uh, 2007, the year of veganism. How about it? Do you yes, I say I say that I say 2007 is the year of veganism, of decentralized veganism. Excellent. Okay. Decentralized vegan. I have all these bumper stickers I brought that say decentralized veganism. And t-shirts. Don't forget t-shirts. We have them, to have. <laughs> yeah, I can sell. <laughs> we have to have t-shirts. We need t-shirts. This is a movement that has more t-shirts than any other movement in the history of humankind. That's probably true. All right. Well, Gary Francione, thank you very much for taking the time thank to you talk very much, on Vegcast. All right. Okay, that's going to do it for this VegCast number 19. I thought maybe we'd sneak in under the one-hour mark, but uh, we're going to go just over. But hopefully this gave you something to think about and uh, gave you some motivation to get out there, start leafleting, handing out food or whatever it takes to spur the vegan revolution. And when you come back, hopefully there will be another VegCast. No, I'm saying there will be another VegCast in January 2007. And until that time, please get out there and live like you mean it.